This podcast is produced by Benchmark Education. What did you learn from teaching remotely this spring? And what will you bring back in the fall to whatever school looks like then? I'm Kevin Carlson, and this is Teachers Talk Shop. We as educators are very good at trying to be perfect, but this is a new landscape of a classroom that we just haven't navigated before the majority of educators, and to be patient with ourselves. That is Patty McGee. Those of you familiar with this podcast already know Patty. She is a New Jersey-based educator and author, a Milken Educator Award winner, and a regular presenter at ILA, NCTE, ASCD, Learning Forward, and other national conferences. This spring, Patty taught daily lessons for nine weeks on the Benchmark Distance Learning Literacy Block Facebook group. And recently, I talked with her about that experience and how it changed her teaching. We started off talking about what we wanted the literacy block to be. We wanted to have something for students, for caregivers, and for educators that they could rely on um, day after day at certain times um, where there would be just some way to connect around reading, writing, words, um, and also support continued literacy learning. And there were a couple of things about that that felt really good. One was to create a space where teaching was happening every day. We knew that we wanted it to be at a time that was suitable for everyone around the country. Um, and we also knew that we wanted to keep it simple enough that when you were joining, you didn't have to come with any other readiness. You were just going to learn something one day about reading, one day about writing, and alternate that. Um, and that's what the space became. It evolved, definitely. I think I was very robotic at the beginning, and now I'm much more used to talking to um, nobody <laughs> um, or myself, but I think that it's become something I'm really proud of, that we have had this space and so many have come together around it during this time. Mm-hmm. What are some things that have uh, surprised you about it? Well, one of the biggest surprises has been the, the, the outpouring from the students that have been part of this over these weeks. Um, we have some kids that have been with us straight from the beginning and the different things that they've sent along from their writing pieces to their videos to um, notes from parents and notes from teachers about how much this is meaning to them <clears throat> and how much um, they've grown to love it um, and count on it. And so that was delightful for me. That's what I was hoping would happen. Um, but also, you just never know when you put something like that together, um, just what it would turn out to be. So it was surprising in a really good way. Mm-hmm. What were some of the challenges? Okay, well, the first big challenge for me was navigating the tech. Um, the tech itself was not reliable. And, you know, I'm an educator now for 25 years, and I have been part of like the technology evolution in the classroom. When I started teaching, there wasn't even email yet. And now, 
because I had that experience of you can never rely on tech ever, you always had to have a backup. So um, when it didn't go right, we just went with the flow and, and shift, shifted course and started again and just didn't let that, um, let that stop us because there were a lot of hiccups with it and we just worked through them and got creative with it. So that was one of the biggest challenges. Honestly, the other challenge was talking to a screen where I only saw me and trying to keep it warm and engaging as if there was somebody responding on the other end. Um, and so that took a little, little while to get used to. Um, and I think it found its groove by the end. Um, it found kind of a rhythm by the end. And, um, and I definitely learned a lot from it. So let's talk more about those two things uh, separately. So first with the technology, as you were learning the technology and figuring out how to get more comfortable with that, how did you, did that affect the way, did that affect your expectations of yourself as a teacher? How did you, did you adjust your thinking about what this was going to be based on what you felt comfortable doing? Yes. And one of the things that I, I wanted to do when it came to tech was actually keep it kind of low tech. <laughs> I mean, even though those, the lessons were reliant upon having the Facebook connection, right? Um, everything else I wanted to keep concrete. Like I had either a whiteboard or a chalkboard. I had my notebook. I had post-its where I wrote strategies. So I tried to keep the tech to a minimum so I didn't have too many tech hurdles to jump over. It was really one type of tech to navigate. And it was unexpected. I mean, even through like week six and seven, um, but to keep tech to just like one platform um, was very helpful. Mm -hmm. For teachers in the classroom, is that typically an option for them? Or, or do you know? I, I hope it is. I, one of the things that I feel some concern about for teachers, and I saw a parody on this the other day, a video of, of a parent pretending to be a teacher um, who was showing all the passwords to get into the multiple tech platforms that um, kids need to use. And my hope is that they're out there as supports, but not requirements. That when the teacher and the students at distance learning have some trial and error and try and get whatever they can up and, and going, that the tech part is not standing in their way because there's so many different options to be using. So it's my hope that those options are possibilities and that um, the teacher can be the one to choose which one is the best for their own setting. Okay. And I'm also concerned about the places that don't have the technology available to them. I think that's a matter of equity right now. And I think that um, there are people who are moving mountains to make it happen. Um, and therefore, when you know, if and when these things do get into the hands of, of kids, we want to be able to make sure it's easy enough for everyone to use. And I think that is limiting how much we use. After the break, Patty talks about getting used to teaching in an empty room and still connecting with students. 
Looking for more information about distance learning? Benchmark Education has created resources to support teachers, students, and their families. All developed specifically with remote teaching and learning in mind. Learn more at benchmarkeducation.com. You also mentioned uh, getting used to talking to a computer screen with nobody else in the room. Talk a little bit about how do you do that? What advice can you offer other teachers? How you communicate very clearly in your lessons, but you also communicate with a real warmth to students. So talk about those two things. How, how do you do that? What would you suggest to other teachers try? Well, I would first suggest that teachers just do it without putting a lot of expectation on themselves. Um, we as educators are very good at trying to be perfect um, right off the bat. And sometimes being perfect stops us from just being good or decent at something or just giving it a whirl. Um, I know that uh, my daughter's teacher, my daughter's in high school, and one of my daughter's teachers was not comfortable with tech, told the kids, recorded her lessons, and there were some hiccups, but in the end, they got it all worked out. Um, so I would I'd recommend just not being too hard on yourself and simply just getting started with one thing um, and trying to make that work. And whether that is talking to just, you know, on a video where you're recording yourself um, and then playing it back or asking others, like, how did that go? What else could we, what else could I do? What else could I include? And just thinking of it as like an evolution. This is a new landscape of a classroom that we just haven't navigated before the majority of educators and to be patient with ourselves and allow the chance to, yes, we're talking to ourselves sometimes, but we can also imagine that we can get more and more comfortable with that as time goes on. So I think that's the biggest part. And then there's also something where I guess just it's like taking a deep breath and slowing down. Um, my father is an incredible and has been an incredible public speaker. And um, he used to coach me all the time on, on different ways of talking to a crowd. And he would always say to me, Patty, just slow down. And I think that when I first started with the video, um, I was kind of like, so you know, concerned about like what it was going to sound like and, and was the tech going to work? that I think I robotically moved through it, which is fine. It's, you know, it's a way to start. But what happened eventually was that I would just take a deep breath and I would slow down. Um, and I think that was also some feedback that I got from you and Wendy and other collaborators on the Lit Block was, you know, just hold the book for a second. Um, just pause with the strategy for a moment. Just bring it into the camera for a second. Um, so, just like taking a deep breath and slowing down when it, I knew I wasn't seeing the people that I was talking to um, was really helpful. And one more thing that was really helpful too was once I started to get some of the responses from students in my hands, whether it was through the comments or through videos or through um, writing samples or anything like that, um, I would draw upon that in the live lesson. So it just made it feel like there was an audience there because I had something authentic to refer to. So that really helped me make it feel like 
at least to me, almost like synthetically <laughs> connecting with kids that may be watching live or later, um, but just naming out students and their work and their words um, helped me feel much more connected. Mm -hmm. So your experience was different than, you know, your teacher colleagues who have 30 kids in their room yeah. who they are teaching, you know, and they know who those kids are and, you know, maybe they can see them on the screen even. Would you do anything different if you were in that situation? Yeah, so I would imagine what I would do. Um, but of course, I would try it and work out the kinks. Um, but what I would imagine I would do is in some way connecting, um, if possible, once a day or a couple times a week. I'm thinking really of self-contained classrooms right now um, where we would just connect and not necessarily talk about anything, um, you know, teaching academic. We would just connect with one another and talk. Um, and that kind of virtual space is a substitute for the type of, say, morning meeting we would have had in the classroom. Um, and then I try and be really creative about the different things that I would be doing, like maybe some small group setup where we would have um, 10 to 15 minutes with just a, a small part of the class. Um, the record feature in so many of these uh, platforms is really helpful because we can always share for those who weren't able to be a part of it. Um, but I would definitely keep whatever connection I'd have brief because, you know, as we look at how long our grown-up or kids' attention span is in terms of listening and even talking with one another on technology um, or face-to-face, -face, we know how long that is, but then like over technology with all the other things that are going on around us at the same time, um, I've really found that brevity is very helpful for making um, these connections more meaningful. Um, the other thing that I would recommend um, for teachers is that when we're thinking about what we want to teach, I think we want to set just bottom line goals for what we're looking for from students and expect that each student is going to do it in, in their own way, which means that sometimes they won't and to expect that. Um, and sometimes they will go over the top. So, so a bottom line goal to me is like, we're going to write. <laughs> and when we write, here's one thing you can try, but we're all going to write. And the act of writing and then getting feedback on that writing once the teacher's able to look at it, um, whatever that might be, you know, that's our bottom line. We don't need to um, really get much more specific than that in terms of our expectations because we're, we're so far away physically from students. So we wanna have a broad enough goal that we can support students with reaching that goal, but something also supportive, like a strategy, a quick step-by-step -step of what um, students might try in order to reach that goal. So just really keeping it streamlined and simple um, and, and goal-centered. I found that's very helpful too. 
Keeping your lessons streamlined, simple, and goal-centered has another benefit as well. Patty talks about that after the break. Have a topic in mind? Visit us at TeachersTalkShop.com and submit your topic idea. Or need an answer about a teaching practice or the podcast? You can email your questions and topic ideas to info at TeachersTalkShop.com. And would that help teachers with their assessment as well? Yes, I definitely think it will help teachers with assessment, especially when they're thinking about um, the overall goal. Um, And if the overall goal is to read (laughs) or read a book with characters in it, um, then they can see where students are in terms of that particular goal reading characters in it. Um, And so that kind of formative assessment, which yes, is trickier to happen, when we are, um, when we are, you know, separate from each other, but it can still happen as long as the goal is one that's flexible enough um, and supportive enough. But you know, you bring up the the topic of assessment, and I I just want to say that I don't think it's realistic at this time for us to be able to use our traditional assessments um, with students. Uh, we have been experiencing and living through a time that we weren't even able to imagine. Um, And the first thing that went at the state level were state assessments once schools closed down. And so I think we need to be really careful about how we use assessment with students at this time. It can feel really punitive, and that's just one more layer on top of a, a big, big shift in how we've been living. Um, And I think we need to prioritize what we're going to say is important in in assessment and be really thoughtful about that. You uh, have talked about teachers taking care of themselves a bit and kind of slowing down and being mindful of what they're, how they're teaching. Talk about some other ways that teachers can help take care of themselves. Absolutely. I have certainly been talking about that and Perhaps it's also because it's something that I've been trying to work on a lot is, you know, self-care right now is something that isn't an option for people. If we're going to be um, able to give what we need to give to others. And so self-care looks different for different people. Um, So I think we all need to identify what that is. Personally, I know this is gonna sound totally nerdy, but like personally learning more about education is self-care for me because I'm just so curious always about the next thing that I wanna learn. Um, But for some, it's just stepping away from all of this for a while and making sure that they are doing those things that fill them up, whatever that might be. Whether that is stepping away once we've finished with this year, um, stepping away and making sure that there's time for a walk every day, or there's time to connect with people you love every day, or there's a time where you're going to journal every day. Um, but building in the space for self-care. Um, and teachers on the whole are almost sacrificial in how they give to others, and there will only be so much to give, especially when they've navigated a time that none of us were ready for. 
So I just want to say it's not, a, not really a one size fits all. It's just me imploring educators to almost, um, if it helps, forget what your profession is in the first place and follow a passion and fill up on that um, to be ready to come back for what we still can't imagine. How do you say goodbye to your students this year? We'll find out what Patty thinks after the break. If you're a teacher, Benchmark Education invites you to select the free ebook library of your choice, specifically curated for families and educators to use at home. K through 6 English, K through 6 Spanish, or K through 6 Dual Language. Each is supported by a free idea-packed at-home family guide. Simply sign up to get instant access when you go to benchmarkeducation.com/distancelearning. So the end of the school year is always a tricky time. It's always an emotional time. And the end of the school year this year was not like any other time before or the end of any other school year. Can you talk a little bit about saying goodbye to your students? What, what advice would you give to teachers about how do you say goodbye to your students this year? Yeah. So... This actually, I guess the only thing I can relate to this, and many of the educators that will be listening to this weren't even born yet, <laughs> I think, or they were so young. Yeah, they're probably born yet, uh, but they were so young, perhaps they don't have a recollection of this, but I was a classroom teacher on 9-11, and um, a classroom teacher right across the river from where the attacks happened, and it was a year of incredible fear, unknowing, um, but our classroom space was the place where we came and we just locked, locked arms with one another and supported one another and just continued day by day um, to navigate the unknown. And what I did that year, which felt different than other years, I always ended with a with some type of, um, you know, letter to the students and parents at the end. But this, that year was a different type of letter. That was a letter of, of profound gratitude for not only everything that everyone there did to make it through a time that was so confusing, um, but also the fact that I felt buoyed up by everyone showing up every day, right? We had our challenges, there were a lot of hard parts. So the reason I'm bringing that up, Kevin, is because like that type of heartfelt message, um, yes, the academics are important, but the fact that we made it, and there are many people who are dealing with just absolute tragedy right now, and, and we're still here. And so I imagine a way, whether through a video message or through old school letter writing or through a letter sent over email or whatever it might be, but some type of heartfelt, authentic message from us as educators, just reminding us that we made it. Thank you, Patty, for sharing your insights on distance learning. And thank you for listening to Teachers Talk Shop. 
If you are interested in the Benchmark Distance Learning Literacy Block Facebook group, it is a public group and we would love to have you. Just search Benchmark Distance Learning Literacy Block on Facebook and you will find it. Coming up on the Teacher's Talk Shop podcast, Dyslexia. Dr. Jan Hasbrook will join us for two episodes to talk about her new book, Conquering Dyslexia, a guide to early detection and intervention for teachers and families. We chose the word conquering dyslexia because with that notion of early identification and powerful intervention alongside all the social emotional support for these children, we can in most cases really prevent the manifestations of dyslexia. That's next time on Teachers Talk Shop. I'm Kevin Carlson. Thanks for listening.